But before we get started, let's pray. Lord God, I'm so thankful and humbled that you just allow me to come here and just deliver your word, Lord. That I, someone as junky as myself, Lord, get to be a bearer of your word and your message of hope and grace and redemption, Lord. Lord, I ask that today that you would just speak through me, that the words would be your words and not my own. Mold this tongue of clay, Lord, and use it as you would. And Lord, I ask that uh, ears and hearts would be open to receive what you would have in store for everyone today. Amen. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Rise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Right now, it is quite obvious that Jonah and God, they're kind of tight, right? God is speaking to Jonah, so obviously they have a good relationship. If Jonah is hearing the word of God, he's in a good place with God. But what does he do? What does Jonah do? Verse 2, or actually verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah, this guy who is tight, hearing the word of God, runs from the presence of God. How many of us walking through Walmart, in the drive-thru of Taco Bell, or anywhere else running around this city, if God's like, hey, Go preach to that person because their evil has come up before me and I will destroy them if you don't talk to them. How many of us are just going to go out of our way right there and just do it? You know, like it's kind of like right now I'd be like, yeah, I would do that. But sometimes I might just question myself being like, did I actually hear from God? You know, um, and sometimes you're like, oh yeah, but sometimes Satan likes to impersonate God in your head. I don't think Satan, if he was impersonating God, would tell you to go share the gospel message with somebody. Um, just putting that out there. But Jonah does not head to Nineveh. He goes to Tarshish. Tarshish. And on the way, God sends a mighty storm. And all the sailors on the ship are praying to their respective gods, Oh, please, so-and-so save us, and you so-and-so save us. And where is Jonah in this time? He is asleep in the boat. There's a lot of parallels drawn between Jonah and Jesus um, lots of theologians like to be like, oh, it's like another story of Jesus. Um, I don't think Jesus ran away from God, but Jesus did fall asleep in the bottom of a boat. And Jonah was in the whale for three days and three nights. And guess what? Jesus was in the tomb for three days and three nights. There are some similarities. Um, but I don't know if it's completely accurate because I don't feel like Jesus ran away from God ever because he lived that perfect life. But the captain goes down, hey, dude, what are you doing sleeping? We're about to die. Pray to your God that he might save us. And they go up, they're on the deck, and they're casting lots. And they're like, whose fault is this? So they're up there, they're casting their lots, and they're like, dude, this is the sleeper, the sleeper guy. Um, what did you do? And Jonah tells them the story of what he did. He's like, I am a Hebrew, and my God told me I have to go here and preach the message to these people. And I said, no, and I went this way. And they're like, what? And they are afraid. They fear God. They fear the Lord. And Jonah's like, if you want the storm to stop, throw me overboard. Then the storm's going to cease. What do they do? They don't throw him overboard. 
they try to save Jonah still. They row, and they row, and they row, and their backs are hurting, and their backs are breaking, and they're on their rows, their big old oars, and nothing's happening, because I'm serious. Are you going to like try to outrow a storm of God? No. Um, but they tried, right? Good for them. But then they throw Jonah overboard, and what happens? The storm just ceases. The storm ceases. If that's not a witness to some people, I mean, if you look in verse 16, it says, The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. God used that as part of his plan. God knew Jonah was going to run. God knew that these people were going to be experiencing this uh, just radical scenario, and their lives would be changed forever. God will use anything to get this. And then God appoints a whale, giant fish, to take Jonah. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights. There's chapter one. We're done, right? All right, chapter two. Um, Our boy Jonah here, he is in the belly of this great fish. And what is he doing? Jonah had just run from the presence of God. Jonah had slept on a boat, almost gotten a whole bunch of people killed. Jonah was thrown into the ocean to die, and he was swallowed by a giant fish, and now he's in a belly. I'm sure it doesn't smell good, and let's not even talk about digestion. You know, three days, three nights, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know how that goes, but, uh, you know, God does. And um, Jonah praises God. Chapter 2 is a long and pretty awesome praise to God. I'm not going to go over the whole thing. Read it on your own. It is pretty awesome. But chapter 3 now. There, chapter 2. It's just this long, nice prayer. I'm trying to get to the end here because that's where my, uh, my focus is towards the end. Chapter 3, the fish spits out Jonah. And it does not say in the Bible where, Jonah spits, where he spits it out. I was doing actually research on this, like where did Jonah uh, spit it out? And I found probably 20 different answers. People are like taking maps and they're talking distances. They're like, oh, Nineveh was a three days journey. And they're like, no, the city was a three days journey side to side. No, it was a three day journey from where Jonah was spit up. And there's arguments and all this stuff going on about it. And there is, there's no answer to this question. So people can just, you know, think what they want. Um, but I will tell you this. It's got to be closer to Nineveh. And God tells Jonah, Go back to Nineveh and tell them. And Jonah goes. And guess what? Guess what Nineveh does? They worship a god called Dagon. And Dagon is a god with a fish head. And Jonah smells like a fish. So God, once again, part of his grand and amazing plan, sends Jonah, smelling like a fish, to a city where they worship a fish god. Awesome. All right. So, not exactly a coincidence, God plan. So, God goes to Nineveh, and what does he do? Turn or burn! Turn or burn! You got 40 days, or you're dead! That's like a nice little probation period for them. And 40 days, God is going to smite you. You will be smitten by God, almighty smiter. And the thing is, which we don't see too often, Nineveh repents. The entire city repents. The king hears about what is going to happen, and he's like, everybody put on sackcloth. We'll humble ourselves before the Lord. Our animals are going to wear sackcloth. They will humble themselves before the Lord. We will fast, and we will, and then this happens. 
Verse 9 of chapter 3. One of my favorite verses because the king says this. Who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? Do we know God's plan? Do we know what God has in store for us? Do we know what God's, God's comprehension, can we even comprehend even like a small little speck of what God can possibly have for each and every one of us? No. This king, this Gentile Assyrian ruler understands this, this great gospel thought that people here, scientists and theologians, are always trying to comprehend God, and we can't. And he understands this. He says, who knows? We cannot know. Chapter 3 ends with God relenting his anger towards Nineveh, and he spares a city. The end. No, that's not it. That's not the end. Not the point I'm trying to make. Chapter 4, this is my point. This is it. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah runs from God, gets on a boat, almost gets the boat killed, Throw in the water, storm stops, Jonah's eaten by a whale, this boat is saved of people. Jonah gets spit up on a shore, goes to Nineveh, turn or burn, they turn, they don't burn, and Jonah's mad. I feel like that's a success story. He saved an entire city. Jonah saved the entire city of Nineveh. They all repent. They are all humbled before God, and he is upset. But if you look into the historic Assyrian, uh, Jewish, uh, Assyrian Hebrew relations, you can understand this because there's nothing but absolute violence, um, bloodshed, and humiliation between the two nations. Uh, Pastor and I were talking about the things that go on between, and we're reading about how an Assyrian king had a pile of um, heads from women and children mounded up in the nation. He had taken a ruler from Israel and treated him like a dog. He had a leash and he treated him like he was an animal and kept him there for I don't remember how long, but it was a long time. And coming up, Jonah does not know this yet because the book of Jonah was written in about 792, 753 BC, somewhere in there. And in 722 BC, the Assyrians are going to capture Samaria, Israel's capital, and deport 27,000 inhabitants Jonah doesn't know this is going on, but God does. But still, God saves this city, this Assyrian city. This is just one of the many, because Assyrians are everywhere. And right now, in the time of Jonah, Assyria, um, they're weakened. They are in a weakened state right now. So um, they don't, the Jewish people don't fear the Assyrians that much, but they're still at odds. And Jonah probably hates them because of what they've done to his people. They have just persecuted the Israelites. And Jonah is probably upset. And so in his mind, and as we see here in verse 2, Jonah prays to the Lord, says, Oh God, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew that God would forgive Nineveh, and he ran so they wouldn't be forgiven. He wanted Nineveh destroyed. This was his chance to strike against an entire Assyrian city, and Jonah 
chose that route. That was pretty merciless. When you look at the sailors, these Gentile sailors that rode and they broke their backs trying to save Jonah, it's quite a flip of these people don't know God and they are doing everything in their power to save one man. This one man who knows God is doing everything in his power to not save an entire city of people that don't know God. And yet God still gets his way, right? But now comes the part where I throw you and I into the mix. How often do we look at a person, a people group, and hold back from sharing with them because we are not only scared of them, but sometimes we just don't know if we want them in church. Maybe they smell funny. Maybe they annoy us. Maybe they bother us. Maybe we feel like they are just too, you're just a little too sinful. I don't, I don't know if I agree with you. Maybe uh, we're a little grossed out by them. You know, maybe you're, they're just dirty. Uh, <laughs> and then if you know, like, you're at church, then I have to deal with you on a regular weekly basis or biweekly or three, triweekly, depending on how much you show up here. Um, if you could go back in time and meet Adolf Hitler, a lot of people would be like, I'd kill him, right? I'd kill him. But what if you could save him or at least present the gospel message to him? And then I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, if you did, then it'd be like the flash, flashpoint uh, paradox where you go back in time, you change one thing, and then everything else through history is just totally warped. Like Flash goes back and saves his mom because that's what caught him to become the Flash is his mom dying. And he goes back and saves her, and he no longer exists as the Flash in this new timeline. And Wonder Woman and Aquaman hate each other in that war with one another. And there's all this stuff going on. I'm nerding out on you guys right now. It's awesome. I love it. Probably nobody even knows where I'm going with all this. I know you probably do. But um, there's that whole thing of like, if you went back in history, you go change one thing. Is it going to change everything that goes on? Is someone worse going to rise up in power? Who cares? If you could save Hitler, do it. If you could save any person, do it. Um, I'm just thinking that though, like the person that, who would be the least, the person that no one would want in church? Adolf Hitler. This guy shows up in church just spouting out, like just yelling out. Imagine Adolf Hitler praising you know, he was halfway there, guys. He had one arm raised. He was going. Um, he was loud. But I'm just saying, like, he was, he was on the verge of a radical, just someone needed to get into his life. He just needed someone in his life. He was on, his, he was on the verge. Um, but I was just thinking, like, we wouldn't want someone like that in church. We wouldn't want Joseph Stalin in church. We wouldn't want these people in church. But then you see Abraham. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Abraham, God tells he, I'm going to destroy this city. And Abraham's like, well, what if there's 50 righteous people in there? Would you sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous? And God's like, if there's 50 righteous, I will not. And then Abraham's like, well, that's, pretty, that's a pretty big number. Let's bring this down a little bit. And he keeps talking God down and talking God down to 10. He's like, if there's 10 righteous in this city, will you sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous. And God's like, if there are 10 righteous, I will not. God knew that there were not 10 righteous in the city and it was destroyed. But think if God would have given Jonah that opportunity and Abraham the other opportunity that to go to Nineveh, Abraham would have been overjoyed. Nineveh saved. Jonah would have been overjoyed. Yes, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Yes, this is great. I got what I wanted. But God had a different plan for everybody. And even though Sodom and Gomorrah was a 
immense rival to Abraham's tribe. So where do we stand when it comes to sharing the gospel? The good news, are we willing to let someone fall by not going to that person? Or are we willing to beg God for their lives? Now this certainly sounds like a closing part of the message, but I assure you that I'm not even done yet. Actually, I'm going to take some water because we need to get ready. My throat's getting dry. If you are taking notes, this is where the note-taking comes in. Four things when we go into this world are workplaces, family functions, because guess what? There's a holiday coming up, and you're going to run into a lot of family. Uh, time with friends, associates, people we run into on a daily basis. You go to Walmart, you probably see a lot of the same people at Walmart. Taco Bell, I see the same people at Taco Bell all the time. McDonald's, wherever you go. Uh, wherever you're going to go, just be ready to be used by God. Number one, we must choose to be used. So write down choose. There's this can all have a purpose. Choose to be used. Jonah had put himself in a position to be used. He was obviously very close to God. God spoke to get Jonah. He was able to be used. He didn't want to be used in that way, but he was in the position to be used. Did you know that any single one of us can hear God speak to us? It's not just like for a certain few people. It's not just for the holy rollers and stuff like that. It's any one of us. The old song, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee, sums it up so very nicely because if you are seeking God, if you are chasing after him with everything you got, if you long for God, guess what? He'll be there and he will speak to you. If we long to hear the word of God, guess what? It's already been given to you. It's awesome. It's a Bible. Gotcha. Um, but God will speak into our lives. God will move in our lives. So just choose to be used. Number two, we must be available. God wants us to move. We have to be available to do so. In a culture that is so fast-paced, in a culture that is so busy, in a culture where it is very hard to make ourselves available for anything else, I can attest to this. I'm always like either driving to work, holding the baby, uh, working here, uh, or just spending some, the last couple minutes I can squeeze in with Taylor. Um, it is very difficult to sometimes get that, you know, extra time. But you have to be available. You have to make time for God. And when God says it's time to go, you have to be ready to go. Matthew 9 and 10 starting in verse 37 in chapter 9 and going into verse 10, it says this, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There were no breaks back in the day, so this just continues right on. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease, every affliction. These 12 disciples were available to be used. And what did they do? They were casting out unclean spirits. They were healing every disease and every affliction. That's awesome. They were available and God used them. And they were, boy, were they used. They were used to death, some of them, literally. Number three, we must be real. 
And this is what I am very passionate about. I am passionate about being real. I don't want to just like sugarcoat things. I don't want to like beat around the bush. I want to just go right at the problem. So I want to go right into it. This world has become so sensitive. It gets so butthurt. It has become so PC that it is hard to have a conversation with someone who's not in the same belief as you without them getting offended. That word, offended. Oh, you offend me. You offend me. But it is. But despite that, despite the offense, despite the fact that people could take this as a hurt, as an attack towards them, we still have to be real. In this recent study by Ed Stetzer, who is currently the lead pastor of Moody Church, he found out that 79% of people do not mind people sharing Christ with them, especially if they know them, especially their friends. And you know what? Of most of that 79%, most of those people say that the people they know do believe don't share it enough. There's a, uh, a Latin phrase, esse quam videre. If you want to write it down, it is E-S-S-E, Q-U-A-M-V-I-D-E-R-I. This is like, this has become something for me that is just like, and this is used quite often. Does anyone actually know what this means? Do you know what this means? Have you seen this quote anywhere? Essay quam videre? I felt like you should. Okay. It seems, it says this, to be rather than to seem. Okay? Don't just seem like a follower of Christ. Be a follower of Christ. Don't just seem like a Christian. Be a Christian. And lastly, number four, we must evangelize. This one really does speak for itself. Romans 1.16 Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. We live in a country where we are free to do this. We have no fear of being thrown in a prison. We have no fear of being executed. So when you're out there, 4th of July, flipping some burgers, some hot dogs, some brats, some steaks, whatever it is that you're flipping on that grill or whatever you're doing or whoever you're hanging out with, remember that we are free in this country to worship God. We are not being punished for being in church together today. And so many people are. We are free to talk about Christ. We still have an amendment. We still have um, this thing that says we have the freedom of speech. We still have freedom of speech. They're trying so very hard. This nation is trying so very hard to take that away from us. But while we still have it, let's use it because we still have that. Have you heard the phrase, share from the overflow? In my life, I have Taylor and I have Evangeline. By the way, Evangeline means to share the good news. Evangelize, that's her name. That's, I'm just trying to put some destiny on that child. Um, but share from the overflow. These things are huge parts of my life. When I talk to you in a conversation, guess what most of my conversation is going to be? Taylor or Evangeline. Evangeline has become now the more focus of a conversation because people are like, oh, are you getting any sleep? No, I'm not. Actually, I do get some more sleep. She's actually sleeping five to six hours a night now. It's fantastic. This is a great, God is moving in that child's life. It's fantastic. Um, and then, but like, and then Taylor, who is the second most important person in my life, she has become quite a, she's always been a subject of what I talk about. This is the overflow. These are the things that matter to me. And guess what? 
So is God. God is number one in my life. And that's what I love. I, lo- I love to talk about it. Sometimes I, re- I would be lying to you if I said I did all the time and I talked enough about it because I feel like I don't. But that's, like, that's what we got to focus on. Like, is Jesus big enough part of your life that it is an overflow? Does it become an overflow? When it comes to the gospel, it is, our, it is a grace and it is our responsibility to share it. And if the Spirit leads us to share, it is critical. It is absolutely critical that we take that opportunity because the opportunities are absolutely everywhere. 79% of people do not mind if you share the gospel with them. 79%, that is 80. That is 8 in 10 people. Not a bad odds. Not bad. It's 4 and 5 if you want to break it down even more. Or if you want to get bigger, you know, you go 16 out of 20. You're going to, you know, just keep on going up. 32 out of 80. Uh, or 32 out of 40. Whoops. Um, you know, go hit 40, pe- 40 people up, 32 of those aren't going to mind that you shared the gospel with them, that you told them about your faith, that you told them what you believe, that you gave them the good news, the hope that we have, that they should either turn or they'll burn. Tell them that. Yeah, right? Because if God can use Jonah saying turn or burn, he can use whatever's going to come out of your mouth. There's some times when I talk about God and I'm like, oh gosh, I probably actually push that person farther away from Christ. And, sometimes, and then someone will turn around and be like, that just spoke into my life. And I was like, huh? <laughs> How? How does that speak into your life? How is that the thing that got you? There were some times when I was first starting uh, speaking in youth group at, uh, when I was over in Marengo. And I would go up there and I would give a message and I would come down and I'd be like, oh God, I feel like you might have made a mistake. And then like three students would come up and be like, wow, that really just got me. And I'm like, and that is so awesome because it is not you, right? You are not going to lead these people to salvation. Jonah did not save Nineveh. God did. After all is said and done, Jonah complains to God because he wanted to see Nineveh destroyed. Jonah had a seat up on a hillside. He, got it. he put up a little awning. He set up a chair. He's like, I'm watching this front row. I want to see God destroy this city. And God gave them a little shade, a little plant. And Jonah's like, wow, this is really nice. God's like giving me a little shade. And all of a sudden, God kills that plant and sends a hot wind. And Jonah's like, oh, God, just kill me. This is the worst. And this is the second time Jonah says this. First time is after Jonah, or God relented from the destruction. He's like, God, why did you even send me? You might as well just kill me. Jonah is a drama queen, guys. <laughs> Jonah is a straight-up drama queen. He is crying all the time. God, just kill me. Oh, let's go to the extreme, Jonah. Come on now. Gosh, man. But at the end of Jonah, and I love how the book of Jonah ends because it's like God says one thing and there's, it's just done. It's just done. And God says this, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. All right? How great is that? That's the end of the book of Jonah, guys. Jonah doesn't respond. God says nothing more. It does nothing else about it. It doesn't say what happens to Jonah. Jonah's, we leave Jonah up on this hillside, burning away, being like, God, just kill me. And God's like, should I not pity these people? Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? 120,000 persons who do not know right from left. They don't know what they're doing because sin is in their life, and that's all they know and also much cattle, right? 
God cares about the animals. God wants to save his children. God cares about animals, and we should too. And if you go through what I just said, we choose to be used. We are available. We are real, and we evangelize. That spells care, and I meant to do that. And I didn't start off meaning to do that because I started off and I wrote some things and it happened. What is that called when you use letters like that? Thank you, an acronym. I used that on accident. I started writing things off and I was like, I had a C and I had an A and I was looking for what my fourth point was and I'm like, man, I can keep going. I, got, I can go care on this. I started off without even this being in my head. I'm like, that's how God can use you sometimes. So I'm going to close now. And other than pastor, who here has heard of Mordecai Ham? Does anyone know that name? Does that name even strike a bell? You know it? Okay. I, I guess I should have, you, I, I should have, I should have guessed you guys. Um, okay. This man, don't always agree with him. Okay. A lot of his things, he was, um, he was very anti-Semitic. He was uh, very anti-Catholic which at the time, you know, they were in a rough place and stuff like that. And he was just angry at the Jews because they had the blessing and they ran away from it. But this guy was passionate for God. He had a time, there was a story I read about him where he was um, encountering a guy who was like an atheist and he was, had this revival going on. And this guy was in the cornfield, all right, on the outskirts, just kind of watching it, just judging everything from the outside. And he goes to that guy Mordecai, I don't know how he noticed him or something like that. Maybe the Holy Spirit led him to this guy. He goes to this man, and he's like, they're having the conversation. The guy's like, I don't believe in God. And Mordecai starts praying. And tell, the guy's like, well, what are you praying for? He's like, I'm praying that God will kill you. And the guy's like, what? He's like, he's like Mordecai's like, but it doesn't matter, right? You don't believe in God, so you, don't have, you shouldn't be afraid. And the guy starts begging Mordecai to not pray that God would smite him. And then Mordecai changes his prayer to a prayer that the guy would be saved, and the guy was saved right there on the spot. This is a man who would, he was real. If he, he was an attacker of alcoholism. He was an attacker of sin. He would go out and after people, and he would go and fight against these things, these, uh, uh, this unrighteousness in the world. And he was very, very passionate. So whereas he had, you know, a lot of racist claims and a lot of stuff against him here, he was passionate about seeing people come to Christ. He would finish every one of his messages with tears in his eyes, begging Everyone who had heard, he was begging on his knees before the entire crowd that they would just know Christ. He was just begging them. And other pastors and other evangelists are at these events, and they're like, this guy is weird. He is giving us a bad name. He's looking like an absolute kook out there. And they were bothered by his methods. They were bothered by the way he was giving uh, the turn or burn message, I guess. He was giving just that time for repentance. They were bothered by the way he was doing it. So what do they do? They're like, let's get a group together and we're going to go to his room, his hotel room after this message, and we're going to tell him to knock it off. And what do they find when they get? They get in there, they open the door, and there's Mordecai Ham in the corner of his room, on his knees, holding a chair above his head, and he is screaming, God! Let the weight of this chair represent to me the burden of the lost souls to you. 
And he is weeping and he is crying and he is calling out to God for the lost souls. And he is sitting there just saying, let this weight of this chair. And I tell you what, if you do this for long enough, it gets heavy. This will get heavy, guys. You know, this isn't just a nice little chair. It's okay. You can get a little, get a little pump on, you know, a little church pump. But he's, he's sitting there and he's, who knows how long he's been at it. He's just sitting there praying that the weight of this chair would represent the weight of the lost soul's on God's heart. And those pastors left that room without saying a word to Mordecai. So I don't even know what he's thinking. So people walk in, see him pray, and they walk back out. And they say to themselves, if a man can pray for lost souls like that, he can lead them to Christ any way he wants. So, I'm going to close with this. If you want that heart... And this is a very dangerous prayer to pray. Very dangerous. If you want to see the lost souls like God sees them, please come forward. We're all going to pray together. But if you want to just have a heart for the lost, if you want to have this burden upon your shoulders, when you see, and I'm not, I'm not telling you what, this is going to happen yeah, I don't know if someone wants to play an instrument or something like that. That's cool. Um, but if, if you want to have the burden of God on your heart, if you want to know how God feels about the lost, if you want to have that feeling, that passion, that drive for the lost, come on up and let's pray together. We're all going to pray in one, we're going to get in a line here and we're just going to pray together for the lost. We're going to pray together for God's uh, burden to be upon our hearts we're going to pray for this this thing and it is i'm telling you what guys it is a dangerous prayer to pray because once you have this burden on your heart once this is on you it stays with you and guess what it's called a burden for a reason it will hurt you will see lost souls and it will hurt i have this all the time guys i've prayed this prayer and it is not always fun because sometimes some lost people aren't going to be found. They don't always want to be found. And it hurts, especially when it's family, especially when it's friends. And it's still, it just weighs on you. It just weighs on you. And I just tell you what, uh, if we could just make some more room, kind of scoot down a little bit. Um, guys, I tell you what, this is, this, is, th- this is what it's about, right? The Great Commission. Go out. Go go. We have an entire city here that just needs to know God. This city has a air of depression, a darkness hovering over it, and we are that light. It needs us to go. It needs us to go forth and bring this gospel message and to not be afraid to run out. We cannot run away. And know that God will use you no matter what comes out of your mouth. You can use a heartless, turn and burn message like Jonah. And he will save a city. Save an entire city. This is what it's about. Saving the lost. When the fat lady's singing, how many are you bringing? Right? When it's time to go to heaven, how many are you bringing with you? Lord God, I ask right now that you would just move on this place. Lord, I ask that you would just move amongst your people, Lord, that you would just anoint 
their tongues. You would anoint their feet, Lord, that you would anoint our very paths. Lord, that whoever we come to encounter with, that you would put a burden upon our hearts, that we would know that you love them and that you want to see them saved. Lord God, that you would just move upon each and every soul in this room, Lord, that you would just continue to move in us and work in us and continue to draw us closer to you and have that overflow, glory. that this overflow would just flow from us and others would know that there is something different about us and that we would put a face to the, um, a name to the face, a face, a name to the face, Lord, that when they see this different and they ask us, we wouldn't be ashamed to share of what you've done in our lives and what he can do in, what you can do in their lives, Lord, that you would just move Move on us, Lord. Let there be a mighty move of your spirit, a mighty move of your Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord God. I ask right now that you would anoint every single person. Now put your hands on the people to your right and to your left and begin to pray for them. Pray for the lost, Lord. I ask that you would just move on us. Everyone pray out loud to God, crying out for the lost, Lord, the lost of this city, the lost family, the lost friends, the lost loved ones that we have in our lives, Lord, that you would just move and that you would begin to even soften their hearts, break down the walls that would keep them from you, Lord God. I ask now that you would just completely and totally bring about a surrender of your children, Lord, that he would just move because, Lord, you even care about the cows. Lord, you want to see your children saved. Lord, use us. Use us. Give us a burden for this city. Give us a burden for our friends and our family, Lord. Give us the burden that is upon your heart for the lost, Lord God. Move in this church. Move upon your people, Lord. Move in this city. Move in the surrounding areas, Lord, as we send this gap between Chicago, between Rockford, and all the surrounding little towns in between, Lord. Move in this place. Lord, you are great. Lord, you are mighty. You are powerful, Lord. Lord, it is not going to be us. It is not going to be anything that we can say, Lord. It is going to be you. Use us, Lord. We are clay in the hands of the potter. Lord, use us. Lord, use us. Continue to pray for one another for just a little longer. Continue just to seek his presence. Continue to seek his burden. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, just move in this place. Use us. Use your children.